0: Hello and welcome to Homicide Inc. I'm Peter Von Gom. In this podcast, we're going to take a dive into the troubled and isolated life of Robert Maudsley, the UK's most violent prisoner. Not only is Maudsley England's most dangerous prisoner, he's the longest serving prisoner in solitary confinement, 40 years and counting. Why has he been in isolation for so long? What did he do to be handed such a harsh punishment? Well, it has something to do with him being branded England's most dangerous prisoner. Let me explain. Prisoner 467637 sits in his specially built bulletproof plexiglass cage, contemplating how he'll spend the next 23 hours of his day. He's just returned from the one hour of free time he's granted each day just as he's been given for the past 14,600 days, and it appears nothing is going to change until his death. Forty years of solitary confinement. Only one other man has been in solitary longer, Albert Woodfox, who was caged in a six-by-nine-foot cell almost continuously for 43 years before being released from a Louisiana jail in 2016. Bob Maudsley. No visitors, no communication, other than with the guards tasked with keeping others safe from England's most dangerous prisoner. Robert Maudsley is locked up in the basement of Her Majesty's Prison Wakefield in England. Now that just sounds romantic and posh. Nothing like the slammers in the States, Supermax, San Quentin, Rikers Island, these are pokies known for holding some of the worst criminals in history, and just hearing the names makes you scared straight. Anything beginning with Her Majesty eases any semblance of trepidation. But don't be fooled by the name. It's still a hardcore prison for hardcore prisoners, and Bob Maudsley is considered the UK's most hardcore prisoner, and for good reason. Of the four people he's murdered, he whacked three of them in prison. One so viciously, he deservedly earned the nickname Hannibal the Cannibal. Well done, old chap. We'll get to that in a bit. First, let's get to know Robert Maudsley a little, and perhaps get an insight into what turned him into the rage-filled, violent murderer becoming of the title of the UK's most dangerous prisoner. Maudsley was born in June 1953, the fourth child of a Liverpool lorry driver. Before his second birthday, Robert, his brothers Paul and Kevin, and Sister Brenda were all taken into care after they were found to be suffering from parental neglect. Sad. Another case of a messed-up individual being a product of a broken home. As we've seen over and over and over again in these podcasts, An overwhelming number of these baddies are from effed-up childhoods. Well, it gets worse. Much worse. Robert spent most of his infancy in Nazareth House, a Roman Catholic orphanage run by nuns in Liverpool. And during that time, he and his siblings formed a close bond, but barely knew their parents. They only visited their first four kids occasionally. Yeah, the first four. Several years later, during which time they had eight more kids, they took the first four back home. What the hell? Hey, babe, the first four didn't work out for us, so let's keep punching more out in hopes of some keepers. Jeepers. So with 12 kids now under their belt, Nazareth House felt the Maudsley now had enough experience to be trusted with the first four that were deemed victims of neglect and reunited the big happy 14-member family again. Oh, happy days. It was to be the beginning of a terrible campaign of physical abuse. His brother Paul recalled in an interview, At the orphanage, we had all gotten along so well. Our parents came to visit, but they were strangers. The nuns were our family, and we all stuck together. Then our parents took us home, and we were physically abused. This was something we had never experienced before. They just bullied us, one by one beat us up, and sent us to our room. The worst, however, was reserved for Robert Maudsley. He says he remembers the beatings in his childhood. Once he was locked in a room for six months, and his father only opened the door to come in and beat him, five or six times a day. He would hit him with sticks or poles, once he even broke an air rifle over his back. Eventually, Robert was again taken away by social services and placed in a series of foster homes. His father told the rest of the family he had died. Damn! Robert then found his way to London when he was 16, developed a crippling drug addiction, and spent the next several years in psychiatric hospitals after repeated suicide attempts. On numerous occasions, he told doctors that he heard voices in his head telling him to kill his parents. Yeah, I wonder why. This would be a red flag ignored. To support his growing drug habit, Robert Maudsley began doing sex work, and this would lead to his first murder in 1973. One evening, Maudsley was picked up by pedophile John Farrell for sex in the Woodgreen area of London. Farrell thought Bob might be interested in seeing pictures of several kids he had abused. Oh, was he ever mistaken. When he displayed the photos from Odsley, he opened a lethal can of whoop-ass on Farrell. He garroted, stabbed, and ultimately killed him with a blow to the head with a hammer. After his arrest for this brutal slaying, he was declared unfit to stand trial and was sent to Broadmoor Hospital for the criminally insane, where he remained for three years. What happened next has become the stuff of prison legend. In 1977, he and another psychopath took a third patient, a pedophile – dear God, I think we know where this is headed – held him hostage and barricaded themselves into a cell. They then tortured their victim for nine hours before garroting him, and holding his body aloft so that guards could see him through the spy hatch. According to one guard, the man was discovered with his head, quote, "...cracked open like a boiled egg, with a spoon hanging out of it, and part of the brain missing." Okay, well, this colorful, artistic license would later be debunked, but hey, it makes for compelling gore and lore. Ironically, despite killing a patient in the Broadmoor Mental Hospital... Maudsley was found mentally fit to stand trial. Now, how does that work? Convicted of manslaughter, which seems rather light under the circumstances, he was sent not to another mental hospital, but to Wakefield Prison, otherwise known as the Monster Mansion. Maudsley arrived at Wakefield to find his reputation had preceded him, dubbed cannibal and brain-eater. He had been at the prison for only a matter of weeks when he set off on another killing spree. Prison officials, feeling Maudsley would be okay to mix in with the general population at Wakefield, learned their lesson the hard, violent way, one day when Maudsley went on a killing spree. According to other inmates who were there at the time, Maudsley had wanted to kill multiple people that day, The first was Salney Darwood, imprisoned for killing his wife. Maudsley lured him into his cell and slit his throat, then hid his body under his bed. Maudsley then spent the rest of the morning trying to find other people to lure back, but no one would go with him. Wisely, as witnesses said, you could see the madness in his eyes. Eventually, he made his way into the cell of another inmate, 56-year-old Bill Roberts, who was asleep on his bunk. A savage rage quickly took over Maudsley, and he started stabbing the back of the man's head. There was blood, pieces of brain, and chunks of hair flying in a fury. After the man went limp, Maudsley grabbed his head and held it in both palms and began smashing it against the walls of the cell, apparently so hard that the plaster began to fall from the ceiling. Nurses and guards had to watch on, not being able to get into the cell, and hearing the victim's head crack each time it was smashed against the wall. God. After Maudsley finished with the attack, according to lore, he sat the limp body up against the bed, got down on his knees, and started to eat chunks of the brain with his homemade knife. (sighs) Okay, I made it through without fainting. This would add credibility to his nickname, Hannibal the Cannibal, if it were true, but this is total shit. and Bobby Maudsley being the proper English gentleman that he is, I think, would agree, if he had any decency at all. Well, perhaps, maybe, that's asking a little too much. After these horrific slayings, Maudsley calmly walked into the wing office placed a bloodied serrated homemade knife on the desk and with a smirk informed the guards that they would be two prisoners short when it came to the next roll call. Damn. Convicted this time of double murder, Maudsley was deemed unsafe to mix with other inmates and moved into a solitary confinement cell. There was a time when Maudsley was transferred to Her Majesty's Prison Parkhurst on the Isle of Wight. Here Maudsley met psychiatrist Dr. Bob Johnson, who, after three years of discussions and counseling, believed that he was making great progress and that the aggression and latent violence that made Maudsley such a danger had been three quarters eliminated. But then, without warning, treatment was terminated and Maudsley was transferred back to Wakefield. Robert's brother Paul has a theory, saying, as far as I can tell, the prison authorities are trying to break him. Every time they see him making a little progress, they sabotage it. He spent time in Woodhill Prison, and there he was getting on well with the staff, even playing chess with them. He had access to books and music and television. Now they've put him back in the cage at Wakefield. After all, his troubles started when our father locked him up as a kid. By locking him up in isolation, they're fanning the flames of that childhood trauma. Maudsley himself agrees. In 2000, Robert Maudsley made an application to be allowed to take a cyanide pill rather than face the rest of his life in solitary confinement. His application to die was made at Liverpool High Court and after a five-day hearing, it was dismissed. After the hearing, Maudsley wrote a letter to a newspaper that read, What purpose is served by keeping me locked up 23 hours a day? Why even bother to feed me, to give me one hour's exercise a day? Who actually am I a risk to? As a consequence of my current treatment and confinement, I feel that all I have to look forward to is is indeed psychological breakdown, mental illness, and probable suicide. Why can't I have a pet parakeet instead of flies, cockroaches, and spiders, which I currently have? I promise to love it and not eat it. Why can't I have a television in my cell to see the world and learn? Why can't I have any music tapes and listen to beautiful classical music? If the prison service says no... Then I ask for a simple cyanide capsule, which I shall willingly take, and the problem of Robert John Maudsley can easily and swiftly be resolved. Wow, that's heavy. So, alone, he's been living for 40 years in the basement of Wakefield Prison in his own 5.5-meter by 4.5-meter crib, fitted with thick, bulletproof acrylic windows, and a team of prison officers dedicated to looking after him. The only furnishings are a table and a chair, both made of compressed cardboard. The lavatory and sink are bolted to the floor, while the bed is a concrete slab with a mattress. To reach the unit, a visitor has to pass through 17 locked steel doors. Finally, a solid steel door opens into a small cage within the cell He remains in that cell for 23 hours a day During his daily hour of exercise he is escorted to the yard by 6 prison officers He is not allowed contact with any other inmates It is a level of intense isolation to which no other prisoner has been subjected This reminds me of our podcast on Yoshie Shiratori Japan's anti-hero he was placed in a specially built cell, specially built because he was an escape artist, escaped from four different prisons in very ingenious ways. He was also in solitary confinement, but nothing that compares to the conditions that Robert Maudsley is in. Perhaps Bob should look into getting some miso soup and pick those locks. If you haven't listened to that story yet on the Homiciding Podcast, definitely check it out. Maudsley's plexiglass cage bears an uncanny resemblance to the one featured in The Silence of the Lambs, where Hannibal Lecter is observed in full display 24-7. They have no choice but to keep Maudsley isolated from the general population, not for his safety, but for theirs. And that includes the safety of the prison officers, too. The only contact he has is with guards that will slide his food through a small hole at the bottom of one of his cells. The start of a new campaign has begun to improve Maudsley's quality of life on the grounds that his treatment could lead to further mental breakdown and is therefore a breach of his human rights. Maudsley has recently written, the prison authorities see me as a problem and their solution has been to put me into solitary confinement and throw away the key, to bury me alive In a concrete coffin it doesn't matter to them whether i'm mad or bad they don't know the answer and they don't care just so long as i am kept out of sight and out of mind i'm left to stagnate vegetate and to regress left to confront my solitary confinement head-on with people who have eyes but don't see who have ears but don't hear who have mouths but don't speak my life in solitary is one long period of unbroken depression. It's a situation that has appalled his supporters, who say that Maudsley is the victim of an uncaring and unsympathetic prison system that virtually denies him treatment and does nothing to assist in his rehabilitation. Robert Maudsley is, however, one of the most interesting and thought-provoking murderers in prison. Some who have met and spent time with him See a different man. He has a genius-level IQ, loves classical music, poetry, art. He's keen to take an open university degree in music theory. Friends and family describe him as gentle, kind, and highly intelligent. They enjoy both his company and his sense of humor. Well, I don't know about you all, but you couldn't pay me enough to spend time with this guy. Jane Heaton who began writing to Maudsley three years ago and has visited him several times, says everyone concentrates on the crimes he committed 25 years ago. Well, duh, they were pretty horrific, Ms. Heaton. It's as if they're living in a time loop and no one's prepared to look at how he is now. I would like to see him get an independent review of his condition and find a suitable course of treatment for him. Okay, fair enough. There is such a thing as rehabilitation and reform. Former police detective Paul Harrison, who has interviewed Maudsley, says he's a clever guy. He says, those in lockup have done bad things, and 99.9% deserve to be where they are, but there are those that make you think. With Bob, you've got the image of a monster, a horrible, evil man. He's got this reputation that's been perpetuated by the media. I too had all those preconceived ideas, but when we were communicating, I could understand why he did what he did. If you didn't know him and what he'd done, and you saw him in the bar, he's a really intelligent, clever guy who makes you laugh. We talked about everyday things. A lot of serial killers are really intense and narcissistic and talk only about themselves and I didn't find him like that at all. With Maudsley, I thought, Wow, this is something different to any serial killer. Maudsley's different. Harrison found himself siding with Maudsley in his repeated pleas to relax his solitary confinement. The detective added, He doesn't want to get out of prison. He's been in there too long. His issues are more about getting equal treatment with other prisoners getting some fresh air. But because he's a special category and a danger to society, it's like he's become legend, even in the prison system. He killed two pedophiles. But I felt real empathy toward him. There are people worse than him in the prison system who get away with a lot more. During his last murder trial in 1979, The court heard that during his violent rages, Maudsley believed his victims were his parents. The killings, his lawyers argued, were the result of pent-up aggression resulting from a childhood of near-constant abuse. When I kill, I think I have my parents in mind, Maudsley said. If I had killed my parents in 1970, none of these people would have died. If I had killed them, then I would be walking around as a free man without a care in the world. Maudsley's health is reported to have declined in recent years, and there are also suggestions that his mental health has deteriorated and he's living out his days waiting to die behind bars. Maudsley is currently the longest-serving prisoner in England. This really makes you think about prison rehabilitation. Is it possible? Well, I would hope that after 40 years in isolation, Robert Maudsley could be trusted to mingle a bit in the general population of Wakefield prison, or at least be housed in a cell that's located in a populated part of the prison. It's almost as if the system is trying to make an example of him, that if you're a real bad egg in prison, this is what's gonna happen to you, and they've held true of using Robert Maudsley as an example for decades. Well, thank you very much, as always, for tuning in to the Homiciding True Crime Podcast. If you enjoy this type of podcast, please consider subscribing and be sure to check out our Patreon campaign for exclusive homiciding podcasts that are available first to patrons. That information is in the description of this podcast. If you have a compelling true crime story you'd like me to consider investigating, please send me an email. And if you'd like to help support the production of the Homicide, Inc. podcast, you can always buy us a cup of coffee. Your help is always very much appreciated. Those details are also in the description and on the Homicide, Inc. website, where you can access all of the podcasts and other fun stuff. Thanks so much, and we'll see you again very soon. Ciao for now.